Good morning and welcome to Legal Defense with Kirk and John. I'm Kirk O'Bear. I'm John Birdsall. How are you doing, Kirk? I am doing okay, honestly. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm doing okay. You sound chipper and uh, glad to be back at work. Yeah, I am. Uh, both of those things. Yes, I am. Good. Both of those things. Yeah. Um, that is excellent. I, I think I've had a new, uh, kind of a renewed uh, outlook on life. It's just been, you know, an experience that I know you and I have talked about this, but you know, some some when something shakes up your reality, sometimes it gives you a chance to to really kind of look around and and see, be, really appreciate what you have. And I've and yeah, one thing well, I I appreciate so much is my friendship with you. It's been um, absolutely you know, a godsend. You know, absolutely. You know, it's um uh we find out we're mortal. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. I know at some point, right? Hmm. And um and and that's a and that's a good thing because it reminds us to uh. Uh, you know, we work hard, but it reminds us to savor life too. And, um, you know, take a little time, you know, you know, they always said, uh, for me, that's going to be door County. Yeah. That you're working towards. I know. Although I know you're never going to stop working. You know, they say, um, when you're on your deathbed, you won't be thinking about that motion hearing that you won or that jury trial you won. I'm, I might be, actually. I don't know. Yeah. Something <laughs> <laughs> like that great trial that I won. Yeah. Um, well, I was actually I was actually talking to my longtime investigator, Cindy Papka, who's a genius. Um, and um, we started um, just riffing on, oh, you remember this case? You remember this case? You remember this case? And she's like, we should sit down and write a book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think, I think any criminal defense lawyer who's done it a long time could write a, just sit down and figure out, just like itemize all your old cases and the most interesting ones. And cause they're all so fascinating. They really are, you know? And, um, and it's not just the factual weirdness of some of them. It's, it's all of the legal issues, and you know, maybe it was a alibi thing. Maybe it was a change of venue. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was, you know, other acts evidence. Maybe you know, it's just like there's always twists and turns because the law is not as black and white as lay people think it is. It's very gray, and so there's always different ways to interpret. Um you know, what's reasonable in this circumstance, because that's the word that's used constantly in the law, reasonableness, you know? It's the hardest word to define, I think. It's impossible. To de- and the thing is, I could define it, and I would be very comfortable with my definition. But would it be how you want it to, to be? Right, right, right. That's exactly right. And But somebody with a different worldview would, would define it very differently under, you know, the same or different circumstances. So, um so the law, you know, it's like seems so black and white. And, and when people talk about law and they hear your criminal defense lawyer, they immediately jump to murder because there's all these murder podcasts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's all that's all they think that. And that's like a tiny sliver of the overall pie of criminal defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, <laughs> how can you represent those people, John? How can you do it? Uh, I have heard that a couple of times in my life. A couple life, million now. times, actually, yeah. You know? I, I think every member of my family has asked me that at some point. And, but they all get it, you know? And I, I hope people that are close to you get it, too, that this is... The main reason I do this is because, you know, I, I want to protect our way of life in this country and to protect those that need protecting the most. 
really defending against prejudice is one way of looking at it because anyone who's charged, anyone who has the finger pointed at them that you did this bad thing, you know, there's an automatic prejudice against that person. And the process by which someone ends up getting charged with a crime is so imprecise and frankly unfair. You know, if I think if your average person just knew what is truly involved with uh, all aspects of the criminal justice system, they'd want to be a defense lawyer too. You know, Um, I think you're right. I, I think, and I mean this sincerely, I think the principles of conservatism are reflected in our job. Mm -hmm. And I mean, conservatism in the traditional uh, sense of, um, uh, limited government, pushing back against governmental power, overly intrusive government. Um, and that's what that's what the, the Bill of Rights mainly is. And yeah. that's what the Constitution was supposed to be, um, at least in part. And sure. um, and that's yeah, what our job is. Have, to a certain degree, hands off. And people should have, to the maximum extent possible, the ability to govern themselves uh, on things that are personal and things that don't affect other people. I mean, we've invented so many crimes in this country. I mean, you know, well, no we've offense. Invented, you know, we've invented President Obama in particular. During the Obama administration, we created over a thousand crimes that have no mental, no mens rea, no mental element. You don't have nothing practically strict liability offenses, many of which are felonies. Um, you know, we outpace practically any country in the world as far as creating new crimes all the time. You know, we we tend to see something, see a problem in our society, and we make a law against something. You know, well, you know. Um, a lot of times that is aimed at particular groups and, um, you know, I mean, historically it's been minorities, but they're not the only, you know, like uh, black and brown folk, but um, they're not the only people that a lot of classes of crimes are aimed at. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's a popular myth, really, that this is going to somehow solve a problem or or another myth is that jail works, prison works. It corrects people's behavior. And, of course, it does nothing of the kind, mm-hmm. and everybody knows it. And so, um, uh, unfortunately, and this has always been a bugaboo of mine, is this in prison industrial complex we've built, starting in really the 70s, but really catching fire in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, um, it, uh, is just like this self propagating machine that was just being fed by politicians hungry for headlines and wanting to look tough. Um, and, and it was, you know, the unintended consequence, the intended consequence was that, um, you know, we were going to control a lot of minorities and the unintended consequence was that this was going to cost tons and tons of money. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it fed a lot of people. It fed people who work as prison guards, construction companies building the prisons, farmers who sold the land, vendors who supply them. You know, it's like I I really would like to see some professor or some like public research group really crunch the numbers on that. You know, that you would know, be a, a huge task. That you, it's interesting you raise that. I was just uh, reading the other day about um, the impact of the new deal 
on the economy, you know, when FDR had the New Deal. And you know, ironically, it had a very little impact on on the Great Depression, coming us bringing us out of the Great Depression. The far greater uh, impact on on creating jobs and you know actually economic stability in our country was the beginning of World War II. And yeah. because it, we had to build the bombs and everybody was employed at, you know, every single person in the country was employed to some, to mostly, I should say, I mean, a very, very small percentage. Um, well, you if, know, you recall, if you recall, you wanted to work, ramp- you would be able to work. If you recall, we started ramping up for that. Um, you know, immediately after, um, the Germans, you know, in Poland in 1939. Right. And, um, and so we had, you know, we were, you know, trying to supply Britain. And of course, uh, there was the, you know, the blitz on London and all the, the whole thing. So we were already ramped up. So by the time Pearl Harbor came around, you know, it didn't take much more to get us to full war footing. Right. But of course, but you're right. No, you're right about you know that really. And, and my, my point being that you know if there's a war on crime or a war on drugs, I mean part of the consequence of that is if you spend a lot of throw a lot of money at something, yeah, you can create jobs, you can stimulate, you know, growth or whatever. But there's always a fallout. There's always a consequence you have to live with later. And really, we're kind of mopping up a big mess based on. You know, the prison industrial complex was was basically uh, a dual pronged approach to kind of get people elected, but also, you know, funnel a lot of our money into that system and to sustain, you know, sort of a, a di- an entirely different part of our society that most of us hopefully don't have too much exposure to. Um those are the easiest contracts to award are the ones that when the phone company wants to charge $9 a minute for phone calls, well, nobody's watching or paying attention. And those who do complain are about, you know, are, are either the people in the jails or relatives of people in the jails and nobody cares, you know? So right. anyway, it is time for a break, but let's uh, talk more about this when we come back. And we're back with more legal defense. I, there is I, more. I was going to do like a mock, you know, announcer voice, but nah. no, we, I did that for so many shows. I mean, <laughs> you know, old people are like, oh, cut it out. Uh, but, um, well, you know, we were just talking about this whole prison industrial complex. And, you know, I often tell clients <clears throat> that uh, when they get charged with a crime or even when they just get arrested, uh, they have set in motion when they call the police, they have set in motion a machine that is um, enormous. And once it go- gets going, it is really hard to stop. So if somebody makes an accusation, let's just say sexual assault, just pick a crime. And, um, Maybe they're just angry about something and they, you know, and they uh, make up an accusation against somebody or maybe it's even a real, you know, accusation with this kind of exaggerated. There's a little truth to it or something like that. Um, But once that enters the realm of the legal system, it is it is the, the biggest task on earth to get it to stop. Mm-hmm. Because because the people who are charging and arresting 
they have a vested interest in keeping to do keeping doing that. Yeah. Um, because that is literally how they justify their existence. Well, right. And, and you know, I get this. I, I, a lot of people find this surprising, but during the first couple of years of my law career, I actually was a prosecutor. I mean, I know you know that, but a lot of people don't. And so I've been through that process of kind of seeing how that thought, how that thought process works and the way that people justify things to themselves. And I can, I can tell you, and I, I believe this, that, uh, prosecutors who get a case like that believe that they're doing the right thing. They believe that they're, uh, for the most part, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there also that view it as low-hanging fruit, you know, that you can just uh, gain a lot, both politically and stature-wise. But, you know, there are cases that are filled with emotion, and it's very, very hard for anyone to be objective in the process. I mean, I'll admit, as a defense lawyer, I'm not objective. I'm fighting for my client. When my client says, you know, he didn't do it, and she's lying, I, I'm going to I'm going to go with what my client says, you know, but that's the thing is that judges who are elected and again, it's not their fault, but how they perceive their duty to the public and the prosecutors who perceive their duty to the public as, you know, push this issue. Add to that the new layer of Marcy's law, which is frankly making things rather difficult for the process to work correctly. And I, you know, I understand the idea of giving a greater voice to people who are alleged victims in the process is a, is a fine idea. It's a, I suppose a good idea, but it doesn't square properly with the presumption of innocence and the fact that any, in our country, anyone who's accused of something is we are required to treat that person as though they are completely innocent, whether we think they are or not, because you have to go through the process of it. And, yet, and, that and yet that rarely happens because uh, yeah, I know. Of, I know. oftentimes in bail decisions, whether it's in federal court or state court, um, the, uh, the, the government often either requires, asks for detention like in federal court or they, ask for some outrageously high bail to ensure that somebody's incarcerated. And, mm-hmm. and there are in Wisconsin right now, as we sit here, thousands and thousands and thousands. And I mean that in literal terms, all over the state, thousands of people sitting in custody have been convicted of nothing about their current charges, at least. And, um, and waiting for either a trial date or even, believe it or not, waiting to get appointed a lawyer mm-hmm. because they're too poor. And as you know, this is an issue that I've worked on for, you know, um, uh, 15 years or whatever uh, about uh, the structure of public defense. So poor people, per the United States Supreme Court, in the Gideon decision in 1963, uh, get to get a lawyer, period, in a criminal case. And Wisconsin is failing miserably. I mean, we are failing miserably. And the public defender's office cannot find people, even though these people are eligible, they cannot find people to represent them. And the reason is, is because we've undersourced public defense, mm-hmm. under-resourced, and um, in favor of law enforcement, um, but not even so much that. You know, because the DAs 
the district attorneys in the state are underfunded too. Right. And, you know, and um, certainly it's more politically expedient to, if you were going to create more funding, it would be, it would probably go to the prosecution first and it isn't going there either, you know? And the thing is that financially the entire court system, and I mean, the cost of prosecutors, public defenders, the courts themselves, judges, mm-hmm. everything. The air conditioners. Is 0.1% of the state budget. Mm-hmm. So the whole we don't have the money thing, I think, is, is well, a big it's, load it's of nonsense. Hypocr- it is, it is hypocrisy, hypocrisy in my mind to allocate a certain priority, which obviously 0.1% of the entire state budget is a, is seemingly putting it on a very low uh, priority level and then to, you know, charge every single silly thing that you can think of and, and to not go forward with the legalization of marijuana in our state is, it's practically irresponsible. You know, we, we say that this is a bad thing. We say that we're going to go after the people that do this and it's a gateway drug and all this other nonsense that's out there that, Practically, you know, the majority of the states in this country, the vast majority of states in this country have uh, figured out that otherwise. Okay, and many states that are far less progressive than Wisconsin have ultimately thrown this into the mix, into the equation. It's one of the things that is, frankly, hobbling our entire justice system. The fact that we have we have to devote resources to something so silly. And I'm not making light of it. I understand that there are people that have differing opinions about it, but I'll tell you, dude, you know, alcohol is one of the worst things you can put in your body, period, you know, and tobacco. And there's no, no problem with any of that, you know, in our society. But anyway, I'm, I've, that's an entirely different rant that I'll, that I've had (laughs) many times on the show before. I like it though. I like it a lot. I'll refrain from going too far down in that direction, but I do mean this point, which is that it is, you know, hypocrisy to have such a low amount of funding go towards something that some people will at all costs hold up as the highest priority, you know, you know, higher than practically anything else that, you know, higher than, um, you know, public health and public safety. We, We need to throw people in jail, you know, on a constant regular basis. Um, why? You know, it makes no sense whatsoever. You know, you mentioned before the whole jail thing. Um, why is that something that seems to drive the cart in all of these cases? You know, it it really shouldn't. It, it, and I think that criminal law would be so much more civilized and I probably accurate if we didn't have this whole thing about incarceration. It's just, you know, I think there's a way that we can... Uh, well, like a lot of restorative justice um, initiatives throughout the world kind of eliminate that part of it. And, you know, who really cares if somebody's it would, does it make everybody feel better if Joe Schmo is, um, you know, behind bars forever versus, you know, in a treatment program or well, I mean, not to get too macro about this, but there's 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 a. Uh, this is specifically there's big swaths of the system that are specifically aimed at certain groups, certain neighborhoods, um, you know, uh, in classes of people. And that 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 includes a racial dimension. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just no doubt about it. The facts are what they are. I mean, 
All right. You know, wait, 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 you have a very good point there. Let me just say one thing and I want you to pick up on it, but it just occurred to me because I, I did hear this in a conversation in the day. Um, when we talk about racial impact of charging decisions and what, the way laws are created, I mean, back when the sentencing commission decided to make the, the crack, uh, you know, guidelines so much more severe, there was no pretending that, well, some people were pretending that this was not a crime that would uh, impact uh, minorities more than white people. In fact, I remember people saying that would be racist if you did that. If you said, oh, we're, we're actually increasing the penalties for crack because we, you know, it will in fact impact a particular uh, portion of our society more harshly than another portion, that would be incorporating racism into your decision. Well, you know, nowadays we just acknowledge that that's a reality that, you know, it, ha- it because of the economics of the situation and because that form of cocaine was much more prevalent in economically, you know, suffering areas because it's cheaper and easy to make and you can spread it out and all those other things, you know, there was there's this reluctance to admit that there that there are socioeconomic uh, disparities from uh, people that make laws. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I got to take we got to take a break and hold that thought. I saw your finger, so hold that thought. I have a thought. Right. Go ahead. Okay, keep it. We'll be right back. And we're back from those commercial messages. How are you doing, John? I'm all right. I'm all right. All I'm right. tired these days. You know, getting over. You know, they say. That when you've had COVID, <clears throat> that you're going to feel exceptionally fatigued for about six months. Hmm. I mean, it takes that long for it to, uh, I guess, for you to truly return to normal. Wow. I wonder so, why that is. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that unusual of a Maybe virus. it's because of the way it attacks your body. I, I really don't know. But um, so, you know, I mean, uh, I... For years, anyways, I always wanted to start taking naps during the middle of the day, but I always felt guilty doing that, so I never do. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I think but, we're both getting to the age where I think we could justify that. You know, I think it's yeah. I've always heard it's good for you. You know, yeah, but then again, I don't want somebody to say, "Oh, oh, he's just an old man." So I'm pretty much I don't want that. Into that role pretty well. I mean, I'm I'm accepting it. Holy. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I should get on board with that. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, you were about to make a point when I took us in the direction of, uh, you know, talking yeah, we were about- just well, we were chatting about, you know, how um, the resource decisions that are made by politicians um, are incredibly ill-informed. So, um, there used to be <clears throat> quite a few lawyers in Congress and in the legislatures around the country and in Wisconsin in particular. You know, I don't know what the numbers were, but there was, you know, I, I'm just guessing at this number, but, you know, there was like probably half were lawyers. And so not even doing criminal defense, although some I'm sure did. Um, uh, but they at least have the, an inkling about what uh, the justice system should look like in terms of structure and what it costs and what's appropriate, like in terms of how many judges we need, how many courts we need, how many DAs, how many prosecutors, you know, whatever. And um, I think that's, I don't, I don't think there's a single lawyer in the Wisconsin legislature right now. Is that true? 
Wow, I'd be surprised. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. No, I take it back. There is Evan Goyke, uh Democrat out of Milwaukee, but I if there's if there's a handful, I'll be surprised. Not even a handful. And um, and it's it's as you know, I'm sure you track the bills that go through the legislature. Um, there's so many that are just anecdotal. They're not thoughtful. They're just, they're just designed to appease one group or one person, maybe even. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and they and people get caught up in just grabbing their headline and moving on. And mm-hmm. that's how Marcy's law became came into effect. Well, especially um, because it was a national movement that was, was a national in, yeah. in many that, different states. And if it gets enough attention, then who wants to be the bad guy that says, yeah, I'm against victims. You know, I mean, <laughs> it just doesn't bode doesn't well. does not look good on a campaign poster for your opposition. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm really glad I never went into politics. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I, you know, if, if there's been repeated attempts, and I've been part of some of these attempts, to have, you know, a more global view of how to construct the system that we all work in. And I don't just mean criminal law, but I mean just like the court systems themselves. And, um, and you know, there, there'd be representatives from the DA's association, the the chief uh, Shirley Abrahamson used to be involved in these and, and we'd all have a meeting and we'd talk about how we should all get together and, you know, uh, do joint funding requests, but it all falls apart because at the end of the day, the people in the legislature are the ones that have their own agendas and they're going to make the decisions. And, um, and they're far more interested in money for roads and money for, their um, districts, uh, the bridges in their districts, or the the other infrastructure that might help them economically, in, right. you know, and which is you know it's perfectly fine. fine. But but you're it's right. Really in terms of priorities, those are the things that constituents but, can see. But know? but the the intentional short shrift that the justice system and. The legal system. I should stop. I'm going to stop using the word justice because I think it's a it's such an ill-defined word and it's so misused uh, by everybody uh, that. uh, But the legal system needs to have a far more thoughtful implementation because we've got the basic structure from just our common heritage of jury trials and. you know, uh, that's even in the Constitution, of course. And there's, there's, um, uh, there's, there's that basic structure. But when you really implement it on the ground in reality for real people that affect real lives, it's kind of a mess in a lot of places. Yeah. And it's a mess right now in Wisconsin with these people sitting in jail. Again, thousands and thousands of them. And um, we need a basic restructuring and a rethinking about not only the structure itself, but the uh, the funding for it. You know, it's good that we have a statewide public defender's office. Mm-hmm. Because before that, we just had a patchwork of judges appointing their favorite lawyers, and <laughs> um, and it was a mess. There's their relative, um, <laughs> but the public defender's office um, cannot handle this flood that's coming at them, um, and and. And, you know, and so th- there's there's this disconnect between 
you know, the, the, the desire for quote unquote justice, um, and, and how we implement it and what it really looks like in real life. And you and I get to face it every single day, but, uh, but most lay people, they're just going to read, you know, a story headline, maybe even not even the story or see a two minute clip on, you know, the latest crime on the evening news. And that's their whole exposure to it. Mm hmm. You know, one thing that gets my goat on this issue is when you hear people, usually it's somebody at the head of a law enforcement agency, usually a sheriff's department, that being the sheriff in different counties that that push for bigger and uh, more jails. And that is literally the, the tail wagging the dog when we're talking about this issue, because, you know, we, we don't solve the problem of underfunding the legal system by creating more space for people to be, uh, you know, incarcerated. And again, it's, it's, you know, the, the system is so much more um, complicated and the, the problems are so much more complicated than to have a convenient warehouse to put people in. And so we can forget about them. I mean, that, that is not an answer to any problem at all. I suppose that if someone goes to prison for the rest of their life uh, on a, you know, a, Class A felony, you know, where there's no chance for parole, I suppose that the public is more or less, you know, protected against that person, whatever that means. But I think every kind, every other kind of sentence that you're looking at, which is the vast majority of all cases, you really have to wonder, you know, why are we creating this or perpetuating this process whereby, you know, the state has to pay for, you know, involuntary housing <laughs> for people for just for some reason just on the assumption that okay people don't want to go to jail so we're going to have that out there as a consequence if you do something wrong but we all know that first of all that doesn't serve as a deterrent all the things that influence people's behavior a lot of which i mean there's so many aspects of crime if you want to look at it if you want to use that term in this context that are influenced by a combination of uh, mental health problems and substance abuse, you know, one or the other or both tend to be the motivating or causational factors for probably 90% of the crime that exists, you know, um, yeah, very, very, very little crime happens because somebody wakes up one morning and says, I want to be a criminal and that's what I want to do. You know, it's usually, there's always something else going on where someone is, you know, to, to some extent, because of those issues or, or something similar, ends up being, you know, shifted outside of what we, you know, all want to believe is normal, decent, acceptable behavior. And I, I've always said this. One thing that we should, when we look at the law, don't just look at it in terms of, uh, you know, there are these laws out there that will punish you if you walk off your, your you know, the correct path. Look at it like this. Laws exist in order to give us, uh, you know, guidance as to how to be a good citizen. If, you, if it's telling you the rules so that if you wish to be a law abiding citizen, you know how. And, and that's I think it's important because I think most people, practic practically all people that live in this country would prefer to have a stable, productive, happy life. 
You know, uh, there are very few people that seek chaos, destruction, disorder. And I mean, you know, some people go through a phase like that. I was probably like that when I was in my late teens, when I was into punk rock, I, you know, and I used to go to you know, and everybody'd slam into each other and you walk out of there kind of bloody and everything. Well, you know, it's a phase, but uh, nothing about that was illegal. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm ranting again, and we got to take a break. So <laughs> we'll be back right after these. Love your rants, though. Oh, I love it. Love them. And we are back. I was just commenting on the break that um, I had this wonderful image of Kirk as a uh, 19-year-old in a mosh pit. Who, um, that uh, I guess I guess it's kind of like one of those um, uh, things in rugby. What do they call them? Like scrum. Uh, Scrum, yeah. yeah, but it's like uh, a little more chaotic. Uh, yeah. And um, you I've never, there, you go I've there never, to get hurt. <laughs> I've never personally been in a mosh pit, but <clears throat> it that, looked that's like about one. all the chaos that we, you know, that we as humans typically can handle, or, or or a movie that's off the wall, or you know, maybe some people do have wilder lifestyles than other. But generally speaking, you know, if you're talking about the thing that we have that we, that we all want to hold on to as long as possible, it's life. And it's the, the ability to live a good life. And that can be defined in so many different ways, but you know, the, the idea that the government's going to tell me that because of uh, I had a bad day and I drank too much or I took some drugs that now they're going to take a piece of my life away from me, you know, or at least they're going to not let me be where I want to be or do what I want to do. It's just, it's silly, you know? So um, I'm going to take this on a really deep level and we don't have to stay there, but I'm just uh, thought Should I light some this kind of a riffing off of what you were saying is that we all want life, right? Well, that's what the human species wanted as we evolved. And the reason, and this is interesting, and this is, by the way, based on a lot of research by a lot of very smart people um, that uh, are like evolutionary biologists and um, people who really study the evolution of species and particularly the human race. Uh, and that the reason that one of the major reasons, if not the major reason, is um, that we were in communities. That we the only reason we survived is because we helped each other in a group. Because if we were just out there alone, you know, I'm sorry, but the tiger's going to eat you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're not going to survive. Right. But as a group, we were able to survive, and um, and and so there was never not communities of humans. Mm-hmm. And so, how did those, you know, um, organize themselves? Uh, did they, you know, just sit around the cave and say, all right, um, you know, uh, you're, you're mayor this month. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm just making up caveman talk, but you know, um, uh, maybe we should ask the caveman lawyer from SNL. You probably remember that from the, oh, yeah. um, uh, I don't understand all these modern things. Anyway, um, that's, the, the point is, is that, um, we we naturally evolved into these um, communities where we, it was a cooperative community. And, of course, now we didn't have enough population, really, um, to justify a nation state, really, until like the 1700s, maybe the 1800s, when nation states really actually came into being. Before, you know, up till then, 
there was um, a lot of, um, you know, smaller little fiefdoms, you know, and we'd fight over land and, you know, and that sort of thing. One would invade the other. It was all a lot of silliness. Uh, but, um, but at the end that of the day, bigger than my at castle. The, at the end you of the day, it. you know, when you have political units like the United States or, you know, France, Germany, whatever, you know, China, um, uh, they have to organize themselves somehow within. And, um, and, and unfortunately, you know, certain classes of people get very greedy about power and money and they write the rules to benefit themselves. And so, you know, that's part of what Donald Trump's rise was all about. You know, um, that, that the pushback and, and oh, by the way, and Bernie Sanders ascension. Right. right was the pushback against this, you know, uh, there's one of my least favorite senators, um, Ted Cruz had used to call Washington, the, the, the Washington cartel, you know, the, how they're, you know, there's big, basically a big criminal enterprise. And, and, and I kind of, I kind of nodded in agreement having worked in Washington that there's, there's at least some, um, uh, look to that, you know, I yeah. mean, I never, some, some and, truth to that, that. No. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and so, um, we're, we're organizing ourselves and now our legal system under kind of a, a skewed, a skewed balance of power and poor people ain't got none. Yeah. Right. And right. So, and they're the ones that are mostly chewed up, by the criminal justice system because they're easy to pick on. They're not, they're not coming to a political fundraiser. They're not given money. They don't have any power. They don't have the Um, ability to, to to vie for their own, uh, you know, well-being in that situation. I mean, it's too bad, you know, but because really our, our political system, it does contemplate and always has contemplated at least the possibility of somebody being um, elected based on their merits, not based on their uh, the amount of land they own or the amount of money that they receive. But it's, it's obviously turned into that because, you know, we're a big country with a lot of people and a lot of people have a lot of interests and they, they end up uh, wanting a lot of things. So uh, people see the road from here to there as going through their representatives, especially when it comes to things that don't catch the public's attention, uh, you know, on a regular basis, such as, you know, if not for some of those watchdog groups or people that are part of a, uh, you know, public interest uh, organization, things that such as uh, water regulation, air regulation, things like that. The people that are paying close attention to that are the people that by virtue of their business or their place in the economic structure of things, they know that they have to pollute because of what they do. It's just a a given, you know? So the question then is uh, how, how do they, end up in a situation where they're not uh, at, at risk of losing money because of the way they do things or have done things for many, many years. Um, well, then it goes through their, the people that have the, the ability to, to pull strings in that regard. Well, so, there's, a, there's an excellent example in the uh, tax bill that Trump got passed. I, I want to say it was 2017. Um, this I just read this in an article that... Uh, there was a provision in there, and I didn't 
dig down far enough to see what it was, but it was a provision that was kind of like stuck into the bill that literally was designed to help two families <laughs> and save them tens of millions of dollars. And, yep. um, I, you know, I don't have uh, all the details right off the tip of my tongue, but that is a classic example of, of people's ability to secretly pull the levers of power um, while, you know, sort of the masses get taken for a ride. And, you know, and, that um, seems like such a horrible thing that, to, that you say that almost like it's unbelievable. But you know what? It's I know that that's true. And nobody really bothered to say anything about it much at all. You did. You have. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It's it's no big deal. Well, but yeah, I mean, I do want to give uh, one thing that you said, which I, I think is absolutely true, and I think worth noting that I think there are several things about the fact that we've just experienced, you know, the the Trump era that are, are worth noting in in a good way that kind of should uh, reinforce the fact that uh, you know our country hopefully has a future in in democracy as long as people don't try and destroy it. I think that it will. It will survive. And this is a very good example. You don't have to be, you know, uh, somebody in the know. You don't have to be a Washington insider. You don't have to be somebody who worked your way through, um, you know, the process where you cl- climb the ladder. Anybody can be president. It's a little disheartening that, you know, you have to be a billionaire to walk in from out of nowhere. But, um, <laughs> but I, you know, a regular guy, if I know he's not a regular guy, but, you, you know, a non politician can, can win. Right. Um, even Arnold Schwarzenegger had to kind of go into politics a bit, you know, along the way. Ronald Reagan, before he became president, he hadn't, you know, he, yeah, he was an actor a long time before that, but he went through the normal process of being a governor and a, and a, all that other stuff. You know, he kind of went down, still went down the traditional path of the rise in politics. But I don't know. I find it, I find it a bit encouraging that someone can come from out of nowhere and win based on, you know, I, I certainly don't agree with practically anything that he, well, that he said. Well, did, you know, there is there is that old um, trope about you know anybody can grow up to be president. You know, little boy, little girl. You know, well, so far no little girls, but um, you know, um, but anybody can grow up to be president, of course. And you kind of believe that as a kid. Yeah, I always did. Um, I didn't want to be president, though. So that's <laughs> so. So you know, you're right. I mean, I've always given credit where credits due, and that's and and, and you know, hopefully that at least showed something showed some I remember thinking why is that power? Guy, why is that ugly man John uh, Richard Nixon uh president I think it should be John Lennon I, I was you know I was very young obviously but <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're out of time oh so, man well as usual it goes fast yeah all right well we'll be back next week to uh talk more about the law And you can tune in here next week, as you can every week, right here on 1330 and 101.5 WHBL. It's been Legal Defense with Kirk and John. Have a great great weekend.